0: Hey, Volties. The following was going to be a column on Vox, but they decided they wanted something newsier, so I'll be doing something about Biden's pledge over there soon. In the meantime, enjoy this write-up of a fun new paper. We'll get back to Battery Week next week. Climate change can sometimes seem like an intractable problem. So it is useful to remember periodically that progress is possible. Indeed, that we are making progress and know how to make more. This is especially true of the electricity sector. Electricity is the focus of some of our biggest ambitions. Climate policy analysts, and Joe Biden, agree that we need to decarbonize the electricity sector in the US entirely by 2035. That's what Biden's energy efficiency and clean energy standard aims for if he's able to pass it. That's an incredibly ambitious target for the next 15 years, but a look at the last 15 years shows that rapid change is possible. Headline one, the U.S. electricity sector is decarbonizing faster than expected. To illustrate the point, Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory senior researcher Ryan Weiser undertook a simple project. He went back 15 years and looked at the U.S. Energy Information Administration's 2005 projections for the electricity sector to compare them with what actually happened. Specifically, he looked at EIA's business as usual, or BAU, scenario, its projection of what would happen if 2005 policy were frozen in place, he also looked at other projections to make sure EIA wasn't an outlier. Here's the top line conclusion Quote, 15 years ago, many business as usual projections anticipated that annual carbon dioxide emissions from power supply in the United States would reach 3,000 million metric tons in 2020. In fact, Direct power sector CO2 emissions in 2020 were 14,50 million metric tons, roughly 50 percent below the earlier projections. By this metric, in only 15 years, the country's power sector has gone halfway to zero emissions. End quote: "Not bad." Of course, as Weiser acknowledges, this is about the rosiest possible lens through which to look at this data. 2020 was an unusual year. The pandemic drove demand and emissions down. Using 2019 numbers instead, the decline from BAU is 46%. If you measure how much power sector emissions fell from 2005 to 2020 in absolute terms, rather than relative to expectations, the decline is 40%. Measuring absolute decline with 2019 numbers gets you 33%. If you look at total energy-related emissions, not just electricity, but all energy, they are down 39% relative to BAU. It's evident that electricity is making the fastest progress. Nonetheless, no matter how you look at it, in terms of emissions, we're doing much better than BAU in the electricity sector. Here's a breakdown of emission declines in the electricity sector and its component subsectors relative to BAU projections and absolute levels for both 2020 and 2019. And here in the Post is a graph showing how electricity demand was much lower than expected in residential, commercial, industrial, and in transportation. So that's how electricity greenhouse gas emissions did. Let's look at a few other metrics. Headline two, coal died while natural gas and renewables grew. Four big trends in the sources that power the electricity sector helped push emissions below BAU. First, Coal died, just absolutely plunged relative to expectations. Second, natural gas boomed, thanks to the shale revolution, and stayed much cheaper than expected. Third, renewables boomed, thanks to policy support that drove cost declines that were much more rapid than expected. And fourth, demand stagnated, thanks to declining manufacturing and energy efficiency. Here's a graph that shows, on top, how supply and demand sources came in relative to EIA's 2005 BAU, and on bottom, how they performed in absolute terms. And this graph shows renewables grew much faster than expected, natural gas grew faster than expected, coal plunged much faster than expected, and demand, which was expected to rise, instead stayed steady. Headline three. Electricity bills have not increased. The dynamic in electricity prices is interesting. EIA's 2005 BAU projection had electricity retail prices falling slightly by 2020, but average consumer electricity bills increasing substantially thanks to increased demand. What happened instead? Retail prices stayed about the same and so did average bills. With all the cheap natural gas and renewables flooding the system, why didn't prices go down? Weiser cites research uncovering the primary culprit. Quote, declining power production costs due to decreasing prices for natural gas, wind, and solar have been offset by increases in sector-wide transmission and distribution costs, end quote. Curses, transmission again. Headline 4. But pollution has plunged. Coal is the dirtiest electricity source, so the unexpected plunge in coal meant a commensurate plunge in local air pollutants and greenhouse gases. Wiser calculates both the climate damages by using the government's social cost of carbon and the air pollution damages avoided by sectoral changes over the last 15 years. They are stunning. Again, you need to see this graph in the post, but it shows that where the total social costs of electricity were expected to rise, instead they fell by almost 50%. Even these numbers probably understate the benefits, since every new round of science reveals that the impact of air pollution is greater than previously understood. Headline five, employment grew thanks to renewables. Quote, the renewable energy sector is job intensive, requiring more jobs per unit of output than natural gas and coal, Weiser writes. As a result, though jobs in the coal sector are considerably lower than might have been the case, natural gas and especially renewable energy jobs boost the overall total to 920,000. End quote. Measuring employment impacts is a little trickier. Wiser only measures a limited set of job categories and calls these rough first order approximations, but it's clear enough that domestic renewable energy also involves lots of new domestic jobs. Headline six, or is it seven? What to learn from our unanticipated success in electricity. What's happened over the last 15 years in US electricity is remarkable. For no added cost to consumers, we have radically reduced the social cost of power. Hundreds of thousands of people, maybe millions, will be healthier in the future for it. In part, that came through a few strokes of luck. The fracking boom was responsible for somewhere around half the reductions. But a great deal came through organized activist and public policy effort to push coal out of the system, expand renewables, and hold demand down through energy efficiency. Given how much research and public policy was devoted to expanding natural gas, even the shale boom could be seen as largely intentional. When I asked Weiser how much credit he would give to deliberate policy, here's what he told me. Quote, policy has driven growth in wind, solar, and energy efficiency. For wind and solar, state RPSs, federal tax incentives, net metering, and R&D. For efficiency, efficiency standards for equipment and buildings, and utility energy efficiency incentives. As it relates to renewables and efficiency, the glory goes to policymakers and also to innovators in many cases directly or indirectly supported by policy. For coal-to-gas switching, the story is more nuanced. Surely fracking was developed in part with federal government assistance. As well, pressure campaigns by many advocates have supported the retirement of coal assets. But one also has to accept that this storyline is not one that solely relates to policy intervention. So, I can't give you a precise percentage, I'd love to have one, but the role of policy has surely been decisive. End quote. In the end, he says, I strongly believe that our fate is in our hands. Given the mix of purposeful policy and happy fate in the outcome of the last 15 years, the paper itself draws two lessons. Quote, First, Policy and technology advancement are imperative to achieving significant emission reductions. Second, our ability to predict the future is limited, and so it will be crucial to adapt as we gain policy experience and as technologies advance in unexpected ways. End quote. Push on policy and technology and be open to experimentation and revision not bad guides in any area of politics. One thing the last 15 years in the electricity sector does not teach us is that getting the rest of the way to net zero by 2035 will be easy. For one thing, there will be a rebound in demand as the economy recovers from COVID-19. For another, many of the easiest low-hanging fruit have been picked. Subsequent reductions are likely to be more difficult. And finally, the pace of reduction will need to substantially increase. We will have to beat EIA's BAU case yet again. Here's what the agency projected this year relative to a net zero pathway. And this graph in the post shows EIA's projections of electricity sector emissions leveling out in 2025 whereas the pathway to net zero obviously shows a steep decline. Headline eight, getting the rest of the way to net zero. Quote, past success does not trivialize the challenges that remain for further decarbonization in the power sector and beyond, Weiser writes, nor does it offer a specific roadmap for how best to achieve those additional reductions, end quote. The final section of the paper is a brief review of the scientific literature on net zero power. Obviously, coal to gas switching, a major engine of past reductions, cannot be a long-term strategy unless carbon capture and sequestration scales up and gets cheaper much more quickly than anyone expects. So the next 15 years will primarily be about scaling up solar, wind, and battery storage, which are rapidly falling in cost. They can build on, quote, existing low carbon resources, nuclear, hydropower, geothermal, and other renewables, and energy efficiency, Wiser writes. And research shows that collectively, these low-carbon resources could reliably meet as much as 70 to 90 percent of power supply needs at low incremental cost, end quote. Getting there means overcoming numerous challenges, preparing the grid for it, in part by adding more transmission, scaling up batteries and other sources of grid flexibility, improving the operation of wholesale markets, aggressively pursuing energy efficiency and demand response, and more. It won't be easy, but the path to 90% electricity sector reductions is relatively clear. After that, wringing out that last 10-20% to of emissions, things get a little trickier. Doing it only with today's clean resources, especially relying on batteries to provide all the flexibility, gets rapidly more expensive as zero approaches. We will need more backup from clean, firm resources. Wiser sites, longer duration storage, hydrogen or synthetic fuels, biofuels, fossil or biomass with CO2 capture and sequestration or use, nuclear geothermal and concentrating solar thermal power with storage the cheapest option for that additional flexibility at least from what we can perceive today is just keeping a bunch of natural gas plants open but running them only rarely that won't get us to net zero but it will get us close when i pressed Wiser on which clean firm resources he would bet on eventually replacing those plants he cited quote using hydrogen in existing retrofitted gas plants and newer longer duration storage techs. It will be important over the coming years to research and innovate on those clean firm sources, even as we rapidly scale up the clean tech we already have. It's a daunting task, but recent history shows we can make rapid progress, even with a patchwork of uncoordinated state policy efforts, Imagine what we could do with a concerted, well-funded, federal effort. We could beat expectations again. Thanks for listening, y'all. See you next time.